0: Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. Hey Amarillo is brought to you by ROI Online. Most business leaders struggle with how to transition from traditional marketing into modern marketing. ROI has a team of experts that makes it easy. They help you make a plan and then do most of the work and set you up for success. ROI can guide you to success at roionline.com. Today's guest is Travis Tidmore, and there are a couple of reasons I wanted to have Travis on the show. Number one, he's a young local attorney who doesn't work out of an office. He's a solo practitioner and he meets with clients in Emerald's coffee shops and courtrooms, which I I think is interesting enough in itself. Number two, Travis is one of the co-owners of Yellow City Comic Con. It's a pop culture and comic convention that began a few years ago and has since become the largest annual fandom convention in the Texas panhandle. With the 2018 con coming up in mid-April, I sat down with Travis to talk about his law practice, his nerd credentials, and yes, he has them in significant quantities, and why Yellow City's celebrity special guests love coming to Amarillo. So here's Travis Tidmore. Travis Tidmore, welcome to Hey Amarillo. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. So I should say uh, from the start that we are recording today at uh, Palace on 34th and Bell Streets, and so we're kind of in the middle of Amarillo National Bank and Palace in sort of a glass-enclosed box. Uh, the sound might be a little bit different, but I thought it was a, a cool place to try. Yeah, it's a good office. You've mentioned to me that uh, this is a place that you office uh, pretty yeah. regularly. So tell me tell me about the work that you do.
1: I am an attorney I have been out on my own since 2012 so January was six years um, we were living in Pampa for about six years and about two and a half years ago we moved back to Amarillo and I had an office in Pampa and I used it occasionally when I would go back there and finally I just closed that office and didn't really feel like paying to rent a space here in Amarillo so I most of my work out of coffee houses like palace or um, over at the courthouse i meet clients there and in this day and age a lot of what i do is on the phone through email and texting back and forth with my clients So a lot of times i'll have clients that they hire me over the phone and first time we meet is two or three months down the road
0: i know a lot of clients have a certain expectation of attorneys and, and they want to meet you know in a, a place with a giant bookcase of law books or yeah. something like that, lots of leather and wood. And have you found that a younger generation of clients like doesn't care about that stuff, Yeah, the appearances?
1: I've, I've had some clients that haven't hired me and I've met them at Roasters or Palace and you can tell that they're not real thrilled with that. And so I'm sure I've lost some clients, but it seems like most clients just, they don't really care. They just want you to do the work that they want you to do and they don't care where you're doing it out of. And so it's it's been good. I think a lot of, like you said, a lot of younger people just it doesn't matter as much. We're all online anyways, and so communicating through online is just as easy as meeting in person. And most of the time it's easier.
0: Is that a change that that you're seeing or that you've heard of for younger attorneys elsewhere? I mean, is is that a trend?
1: I'm not sure. I know I have a, a few friends that are similar that they're more mobile Uh, most of them still have offices but most of them a lot of them will still meet in places like a coffee shop or at the courthouse and so yeah i think as we go on it's just going to be easier and easier because our lives are so hectic most of the time that it's hard to meet up i have clients that you know they work till six and i like to spend time with my family after six And so a lot of times it's hard to find a time we can meet, and so it's easier just to do it over email, call on the phone, and go back and forth that way.
0: Let's talk more about your career, but I want to go back a little bit further than that and just establish you sort of in this area. So how did you end up in Amarillo? And I say that knowing the answer a little bit because I should admit uh, our families grew up across the alley from each other in the Paramount Terrace area. Uh, you were several years younger than I was, uh, so we didn't really interact, but we, the Boyettes knew the Tidmores, the Tidmores knew the Boyettes. And yeah.
1: I was born here. My parents still live in the same house that they've lived in since I was born. As and do so my parents. I grew up and was raised, graduated from Tascosa in 99, and tried to get away from Amarillo as quick as I could. Um, I ended up going to Abilene Christian University and then swore I'd never move back to Amarillo. And after I graduated, my wife and I ended up finding jobs up here and moved back to Amarillo. And I worked at Amarillo National Bank for about a year before I realized I didn't really care for it. And so I decided to go to law school. And we ended up going out to Pepperdine, which is in Malibu, California. And Not a bad it. university to go to. No, it's beautiful. The uh, law school, they don't tell you this beforehand, the law school doesn't have any windows in any of the classrooms because they assume you'll just stare out at the ocean You don't know, getting at those time. cliffside yeah. views. Or, so there's no windows in the classrooms, but it was a gorgeous three years. I would still live there if I could afford it. It's just not cost effective. So tell me
0: about the thinking, being in Abilene, not wanting to come back to Amarillo, but then, you know, relinquishing that dream or whatever took you away in the first place.
1: I think like a lot of people, you just don't want to live where you grew up. And so I don't have a, I never had a problem with Amarillo. It was just home and I wanted to go elsewhere. And so even when, you know, I graduated college, I kept looking for jobs other places and kept finding myself back here. Even after law school, I moved back to Austin. I moved down to Austin um, and tried to to find a job there, not knowing that everyone who graduates law school in Texas moves to Austin. And so I ended up coming back up here and had a buddy who was from college who was living in Pampa and he knew an attorney that was hiring and so no matter what we, how far we ran, we ended up back in the panhandle. I think it, it wasn't so much, like I said, that I didn't like Amarillo. I just, it was what I knew, and mm-hmm. I wanted to try something different.
0: Tell me about getting into law as a career. You know, it, it wasn't your first choice, so how did that come about?
1: I've, I've always kind of enjoyed the law, especially as a kid. I loved, like, legal shows, and I was always uh, entranced by, you know, Matlock and those kind of shows. Mm-hmm. So you were and- watching... Old person TV as a kid, as uh, in middle school and high school. Perry Mason, especially at lunch. Matlock was on during lunch, so I'd come home from lunch, watch Matlock, and then go back to school. Always loved those shows. And then in undergrad, I took a videography was my major, and one of the classes we had to take was communication law, and it's one of the hardest classes at ACU, and I fell in love with it, and so. I still didn't really want to pursue law as a career. I wanted to do video and that kind of stuff. And when I ended up working at the bank, I was just like, I don't love this. Let's see if we can find something I love. And I thought back to that class and thought, let's give this a shot. And so I applied to a bunch of law schools, got in at St. Mary's in San Antonio, which is where my wife is from. She grew up in San Antonio, and she asked me to apply there. I didn't want to go there. So, when we were visiting colleges or law schools, I made sure we went to Pepperdine first and then we went to St. Mary's. And it was a very easy sell, that. I was going to
0: say that it's not a good comparison between no, the two. It was,
1: it was very easy to convince her that we should go to Pepperdine.
0: So, tell me about coming back here to establish your practice. Um, you know, whether working in Pampa, working in Amarillo. What made you decide this was a place to, to sort of get it going?
1: I Honestly, I was looking for a job and this is where I found one. Okay, um, like I, said, I had a friend living in Pampa who knew an attorney that was hiring and so I interviewed with him. One weekend I was in town, they said hey this guy's hiring, come meet him. He set up a quick interview and offered me a job and we spent a month praying for a job in Austin because we really liked Austin and finally we're just like I guess we're moving back to the panhandle and we moved up to Pampa and I worked for him for about two years and just didn't enjoy the environment of his office and so I complained a lot and a bunch of friends were like quit complaining and just go do it on your own and I was scared honestly to to go out on my own asking myself how am I gonna support a family because at that point I had I had my two kids my daughter had been born about six months before that And so I was honestly worried about where money was going to come from, but eventually I just couldn't stomach working there anymore, and so I packed up my stuff and moved into a realtor's office over in Pampa and worked there for about a year and a half. The first day I left, I got a call from a client who needed something, and so it's kind of like God saying, it's going to be okay. Working for yourself is hard, um, but I've always been provided for.
0: Tell me about that, because I, you know, my familiarity, I'm self-employed. I've always wondered how it works uh, for an attorney, because the, you know, there are some barriers to going out and really selling yourself. There there are some hoops you have to jump through with advertising. Um, A lot of clients get big corporate clients, and those just feed and feed and feed for those attorneys. So as a sole practitioner, you know, who's starting out on your own, how does that work? A lot of word
1: of mouth. Like I said, there's hoops to jump through to do big ads. Um, If you're just running an ad that says your name, your address and phone number and what areas you practice, then you don't have to pay the bar to get that approved. And so I stuck an ad in the Pampa paper. Um, I had a buddy that worked there and I was actually doing movie reviews for them. And so they cut me a really good deal. We put an ad in the paper and a lot of word of mouth. A lot of my clients from that former office that had come for me specifically referred people. And then a lot of my work is court appointments. I'm on the court appointment list, still in Pampa, Carson County, and then both here in Potter and Randall County. And so a lot of the work I do is, is people who can't afford attorneys and trying to take the, do the best I can on their cases.
0: Let's talk about that, because I think that's something that I know a lot of people have maybe some misconceptions about, whether they see it on TV shows, you know, you're defending a guy you know is guilty or, or whatever. Tell me what it's like to be a court-appointed attorney and why it's important for people who are in the system like that.
1: The first thing you gotta know about court-appointed attorneys here in this area, we don't have a public defender's office, and so everyone who's a court-appointed attorney also has a private practice. And so the people that are getting appointed are the same people you'd go out and hire if you had the money. And so I tell my, I have clients that get court-appointed, and they're worried. Well, you're a court-appointed attorney, you're you're not gonna do as good of a job. And I'm like, actually, I'm gonna do the same job I would do if you had hired me and paid me, because that's my job is to protect your rights mm-hmm. and. In law school, I had an ethics professor, and that was a question somebody asked was, how do we defend someone knowing they're guilty? And my job isn't to get guilty people out of jail or get them off. My job is to make sure their rights are protected. And so if the police didn't follow the law and do what they're supposed to in arresting them or gathering evidence, then my job is to make sure that their rights were protected and that if they didn't go by the book, that the case gets dismissed. I've had cases where it was clear that the police just saw an out-of-state plate, so they pulled someone over, they had drugs in their car, but they didn't have a valid reason for pulling them over. And when I get those cases dismissed, part of me is like, hey, I did a good job, I got a case dismissed. At the same time, I'm like, what? That person they was actually did have drugs, doing something wrong, and I got them out of jail. And if I do have a client that didn't do anything, my job is to fight as hard as I can to get that case thrown out. And to get them set free but when it's people who admit their guilt then my job is to first off make sure the police and the da everyone did what they were supposed to and if they didn't get that taken care of and if they did do what they were supposed to then my job is to get my client the best deal i can get them And so I have a lot of clients that they admit they're guilty, but they don't want to take a plea. And I try my best to convince them you don't want to go to trial because you're looking at two years on this plea. If we go to trial, you're looking at up to 20. And so a lot of it is just doing my best to help these people the best I can. They're guilty and there's nothing the police did wrong. I can't keep them out of jail all the time. Talk to me about the psychology of that. I write
0: ad copy, I write stuff for websites, you know, if I don't do a great job or if it doesn't have the result that they want, you move on to another project. Potentially with you, if, if you don't get the result you want, somebody's going for to jail for 20 years as opposed to two years. I mean, is that, is that a burden that attorneys carry with them or do you have to learn to like let that stuff go?
1: A lot of it's learning to let it go. Um, if I have a client that I believe is innocent, that's when it's hard. When my clients come in and they're accused of a theft and they say, yeah, I stole this. Then I say, okay, then let's let's do what we can for you. And if they go to prison, part of it is knowing, well, they messed up and they have to pay those consequences. And so a lot of times it it doesn't weigh too much on me because as much as I want to, to get them on probation or get them a small amount of prison time, I can't control what they decide to do. And I didn't... You know I didn't go into the store and steal whatever it was I didn't try to smuggle drugs across state lines I'm just trying to help them as well as I can and so I have to go in knowing that I can only do so much and if I can't eventually the blame has to fall on them at some point for the choices they made to get there get them in that situation
0: what other kinds of law do you practice
1: Uh, I do a lot of criminal and I do a lot of family law it's my practice about 40% criminal, 40% family law, and then 10% business, real estate, wills and trusts, a little bit of everything else.
0: Is there a difference, having worked in Pampa, having worked in Amarillo, is there a difference in the legal environment and the work that you get between the two places?
1: Not really, it's pretty similar. A lot, like I said, I get more work out of Pampa family law-wise just because it's a lot of word of mouth. And since I've only been here about two years, I'm still slowly getting that word of mouth. And so I still get some family law cases here, but most of my family law comes from Pampa and the surrounding There's probably a lot more competition here. There's a lot more attorneys here than there are in Pampa.
0: Well, let's, uh, I, I know that being a lawyer is not the only thing that you're into, that you've got a diverse set of interests. Um, so talk to me about some of the other stuff that you're involved with.
1: The big thing right now is I co-own, I'm one of four co-owners of Yellow City Comic Con, which we are gearing up for uh, this coming April 13th to the 15th. And so that is taking up a lot of my time right now is looking for sponsors, getting our guests' travel set up, um, and just making sure everything's taken care of for that event.
0: And people know about Yellow City Comic Con. They, they are aware of that kind of convention. I, I think a lot of people don't ever think of it being owned by somebody. So yeah. tell me about that process of deciding, okay, here's an event we want to start. I need a team to put this together, and we're going to, this is going to be our thing.
1: Well, the library puts on Amicon every year. And a few years ago, there were some guys who were like, hey, we want to help you guys make this an amazing event. And the library was like, we like what we have, and so the guy said, okay, and they decided to start their own. The first thing they did was put on a little mini-convention at one of the local comic book stores. They brought in one of the Power Rangers and had some artists and vendors, and I actually was there as a vendor. And they found out I was an attorney, they needed someone to do some legal work, and so they asked me to come on board. I joined up, we did two other mini-conventions, and then did our first year in 2015. It was our first year and it was at Sunset Center. We brought in a voice from Dragon Ball Z and then a guy that's been in a bunch of like B-level movies. The city kind of took notice that, hey, this event is bigger than we expected it to be. And it was a Friday, Saturday event. And they approached us and like, how can we help? And they got us into the Civic Center for the next year in 2016. And 2016, we had two rooms in the Civic Center last year and this year we have three of those rooms at the Civic Center and we just continue to kind of expand and grow. What kind of attendance and participation do you expect this year? Last year we had about 4500. We're hoping to grow that to at least 5000 this year. I think we would probably would have been at about 5000 last year, but we were the one weekend in April when it snowed okay. and so a lot of people didn't come out Sunday because of the weather. But this year we're hoping at least 5000. We'd love it to be bigger, but 5,000 is, is our goal for this year.
0: And is is that group of attendees coming from mostly Amarillo, or are you bringing people in from all over the Panhandle?
1: We have people coming in from all over. Um, a lot of it is families in Amarillo, but then we have people from Lubbock, from New Mexico, Oklahoma. Uh, I think last year we had some people from Colorado come down. And we have vendors that are coming from as far as Illinois, Illinois to set up and sell stuff. And so, you know, they're posting about it, hey, we're gonna be at this, and so there's people from all over that kinda hear about it and come out.
0: Let's talk about that culture related to Amarillo, cause I, I think maybe the first time I heard about it, I thought, okay, well, Amarillo needs something like that, but you, you think of, Big conventions of you know comic book enthusiasts and nerd culture and all that stuff as being a coastal thing or hipster communities, not you know a place in the middle of the Texas Panhandle where yeah. it's all about oil and cattle. And tell me about the local community that that this event talks to.
1: From day one, our motto has been for the community by the community because we grew up here. We're part of this community, and so we wanted to make an event that was for that crowd. And so you know we have a, a local cosplay group that they dress up in costumes for the event as their favorite superhero, video game, anime, all kinds of different stuff. They come out. um, It's for the comic book fans. We have LARPers, which are live action role-playing people who come out. And we have an area the last two years where they have foam swords, and you can go in and and fight with them or fight your family. Um, We have video gamers that come out. Magic the Gathering and Pokemon fans that come out. There's a little bit of something for everyone. I think our biggest struggle is just letting people know, hey, this isn't just for the nerd community, the anime people, uh, the people, some people look at and go, it's just for those freaks. You know, There's people that look at them like that. There's a lot of stuff for everyone. Sunday is our family day. We have a kids costume contest that we encourage kids to dress up and you can win a, one of many prizes that we give out. Um, And we have like a bingo, last year we gave away Nintendo Switch, and the year before that we gave away an Xbox on Family Day. And so Sunday we encourage families to come out, but it's family friendly the whole weekend. I've been approaching local businesses for sponsorships, and I had one that was like, oh, we've heard of that. We know what that is, and we're not interested. And I was like, then I, I think maybe you don't know what it is, because you're judging it based on what you imagine it to be. And it's really something for everyone. Um, this year we've got four celebrities that range from a original Power Ranger to a voice actor on Archer to the cartoon voice of Yoda is gonna be there. <clears throat> we have game tournaments, card game tournaments, video game tournaments, we have costume contests, we have a room with about 100 vendors selling everything from swords to comic books to art. To, we have some people that come and sell soap they make at home. Mm-hmm. And so there's really something for everyone to find and it's just a fun weekend to come hang out.
0: What's your connection to it? I, I know there are tons of different little communities, whether it's the Magic: The Gathering community or you know cosplay community. But what's your connection to that
1: world personally? Pop culture and comic books. I grew up loving comic books. Um, I've read comics since I was in elementary school. I still read them today. I've I love movies and TV, and so the pop culture is what I love about it. As it goes on, I get to get to know the people in those other communities and kind of see what they have to offer. And, and I'm on the fringe of those communities. I'm not really part of the anime or the cosplay, but I I know those people and I get to know them through this. And it's just a group of great people, no matter what group you're in, that that share a love for something.
0: Is it something that you feel um, still has a lot more growth opportunity in Amarillo? I mean. As more people discover it, as more people in the surrounding states discover it, I mean, do you want it to become bigger than it is now? We'd love it to become
1: bigger. Um, that's one of our goals is to, to continue to outreach to people outside of Amarillo and people in, inside of Amarillo that don't think it's for them and get them to come out even for just a day, an hour, to come check it out and see what it is. Right now we're doing a deal with Groupon, and part of the reason we're doing a deal with Groupon is we're offering a one-day ticket at a discounted price, because we're hoping those people will come in and be like, oh, well, that's something to do on a Saturday, and come in and check it out and be like, oh, this is a lot of fun. I'd like to come back next year.
0: Do you feel that that Amarillo is is a place where starting something creative, you know, a creative project, whether it's a podcast like this or, um, you know, a big convention, is, is it a community that sort of embraces
1: that sort of vision? In my experience, it has been. I think you're always going to have people that are looking down on that kind of stuff, but Amarillo is a great place with great people. And so when people love something, they're gonna be passionate about that and they're gonna help you grow that. And so, you know, our first two years, it was five of us that owned it doing everything. And the last couple of years, we have expanded our volunteer base and we have 30, 40 people that come out and help us for the weekend. And it takes that pressure off of us and they want to see us succeed. So they come and volunteer their time um, and instead of you know hanging out and walking around the con, they're there working, and so they have been a big help to us.
0: And then I, I know that within that community you know it's made up of a bunch of smaller communities and and a lot of those communities have you know a bit of an alternative outlook you know kids who are into comic books maybe weren't the cool kids in high school or you know who were into role-playing or or stuff like that It, it seems to attract you know a lot of those who we might have considered outcasts in a place where it's all about sports or it's all about popularity or whatever. Talk to me about the importance of, of giving people, you know, a place that sort of embraces those passions and that champions those passions.
1: I think you're right. I think a lot of the, the passionate groups we have are the people I, I wasn't the most popular kid in high school. I was a nerd and you know, back you know, now Marvel movies and DC movies, you know, comic books are everyone aware and everyone loves them. And At it's okay to movies, be a nerd. Yeah. I mean people embrace that. <clears throat> but when I was in high school We were looked down by the jocks and we were the nerdy kids and but we had our group of friends and I think that kept us out of trouble and so I think a lot of times when you have a group of people who are who feel like outcasts it's easy for them to get hurt and to want. you know there's a lot of times I won't say all of them but there's people that they get hurt and they feel like they don't have a place and a lot of times that's when you have people that hurt themselves or want to hurt others and so I think by giving these people a voice and a place to gather and be with other people like them. It helps them to not be so lonely and to not struggle with that so much. And to have other people, they can know, hey, these other people are like us and we're not the only ones out there.
0: This episode is brought to you by ROI Online, an internet marketing agency. As a writer, I know just how challenging it can be to come up with a good story that sells. And I can't imagine how hard that must be for a business owner or a marketing director who has a million other tasks to juggle. So what's so cool about ROI Online is that they are more than a marketing agency. They're more than a business consultant. They help you tell your story. They're your partner and your teammates. They're they're kind of like your ghostwriter, which is something I know a little bit about. They do the heavy lifting but you and your business get all the credit. And what's even better is in addition to helping businesses succeed by shaping their marketing, ROI Online also influences your company culture. Drop by for a chat or meet them for a happy hour and you'll soon discover their culture is contagious. You can follow ROI Online on Instagram and Facebook or learn more by checking them out at roionline.com. ROI Online, leading the modern marketing movement. Okay, we're back. I'm with Travis Tidmore, a local attorney and one of the owners of Yellow City Comic Con. Uh, Travis, this is the part of the show I call Eight Straight. I'm going to ask you eight straight questions, and your job as my guest is to answer those questions in whatever degree of detail you want to. All right. Let's start by talking about something that's, that's closer to your heart. Who is your favorite personality or hero or character in the comics world?
1: That's a very tough question. Um, There are so many that I love, but I I have to go, if I just have to pick one, it's got to be Spider-Man. I have been a Spider-Man fan since I was in elementary school. I've loved the movies, even the bad ones. And my son's middle name is Parker, and so my wife was kind enough to let me pick a nerdy middle name. Not a first name, but his middle name is Parker for Spider-Man, for Peter Parker.
0: That's pretty understanding of her. Does she share any any of your loves or passions or... Have you been able to spread those throughout the family?
1: No, my kids love comic books and nerdy stuff, but my wife tolerates it. What is your favorite place to eat in Amarillo? It's another tough one, um, but I would say probably 575. Um, I love their pizza. I think they have the best pizza in town.
0: Do you get a certain one?
1: Do you have a standing order? I use, Yes, actually. I get the Charlie Daniels without goat cheese extra mozzarella. You're not into the goat cheese part of it. I don't love it, no. So if I if I can have it my way, I'm going to do it without the goat cheese. Okay. What does this area have too much of? I know this answer has been said, but I have to say construction. I'm tired of all the construction. It seems like every road has something going on, and I wish we could finish one project and then move on to the next one rather than have eight going on at the same time.
0: We don't want to become Dallas, where the entire city is always under construction. Like I always, I get there and I think surely they've finished this it's been under construction for 20 years but i think that's the process hopefully we'll get to get to a point where it's done and we're all enjoying
1: our nice streets i hope so
0: what does this area not have enough of
1: i'm gonna say liberals even though that's probably gonna get me in some trouble that's a fun answer but talk to me about it i uh i grew up super conservative republican family i was conservative for many years and in the last probably five years my views have I finally i guess into my own views and they are not what most people around here agree with so it'd be great if there were more liberals out here
0: do you feel that that being in a place where so many people have a conservative viewpoint where it's it's sort of the default do you ever feel like you need to kind of keep those under wraps or not engage in conversations or not express your full opinion just because it's not always well received
1: yeah, uh, I almost didn't go with that answer today because I, I'm i a little worried and hesitant about it. Um, with friends, once I've got to know them, I'm pretty open about it. But with people I don't know so well, I usually keep that under wraps. If, if you are my friend on Facebook, you probably know how I feel about a lot of issues. But um, as far as in public, I tend to keep my mouth shut quite a bit.
0: When you are talking to, you know, special guests or celebrities or voice actors, you know, to get them to come uh, to the Comic-Con, what do you tell them about Amarillo?
1: I tell them it's one of the flattest places you'll ever see and you can see for miles, but it has some of the nicest people you'll ever meet. Is there ever any hesitation? Do they say why or where's that or? I've had some people be like, I don't know where that is. Um, Is that near Dallas? But for the most part, they're like, oh, you're going to pay me money to come out? Awesome, let's, get, let's do, it. do it.
0: I'll do it. Do you ever talk to them afterwards and get their impression and say, what did you think?
1: Yes, and every single guest we've ever had has been impressed with how nice the, the community is. And one of the things that we pride ourselves on is how we treat our guests. We're always told by our guests that they have never been treated that well at a convention. Um, we make an effort to drive them everywhere they need to go. We take them out to eat. And most cons, from what we've been told, they say, get an Uber, here's your per diem and figure out dinner on your own. See you at seven. Yeah. yeah. And so we we pride on ourselves on our hospitality with our guests. And we've heard from other vendors and other conventions that they've heard of us because of um, the guests love us and talk so great about us. Cool. We've had several guests that have said, I will waive my fee next time if you guys want to have me out.
0: That's really good to know.
1: Yeah. When was the last time you visited Cadillac Ranch? Uh, It was actually during our con in 2015. Did you take like a guest or somebody out there? We had four guests that all had the same talent manager. And the middle of the afternoon, I guess it was about six, because they were done at five on Saturday. We got an urgent call at six from the talent manager. And he was like, we need to have a meeting right now. We're out at the Cadillac Ranch. And so we're freaking out like... Did someone did something happen? What's going on? Somebody we get fell out off one of the yeah, we, tail fins. We, we left one of the owners there. The other three went out. And he was like, We just wanted to take a picture with all of you guys at the Cadillac Ranch. And so that was the last time I was there, was with a couple of Power Ranger people and a couple of voices from Dragon Ball Z. And we took a, a group photo. That's a good story. When was the last time you wore cowboy boots? I don't know. It was probably at some two-step dance in elementary school that they had us do.
0: Boots are required for those, uh, I guess? I
1: think they were. Uh, Maybe Um, back then they were? Back then they probably were, but probably third or fourth grade is about the last time I wore cowboy boots.
0: Okay, and and this is a question that I ask pretty often. I may know the answer because of the location of this podcast, but what's your go-to coffee shop?
1: I would say Palace Coffee. Uh, The Burns are some of the nicest people you'll ever meet, and so... I love supporting them and their family.
0: Okay, and so that concludes our eight straight questions. Uh, Travis, the last thing I like to do of, with every episode is to ask my guests to endorse something. So what would be your endorsement related to the city?
1: Amarillo Little Theater. Um, I think it is a little hidden gem in Amarillo, and there's there's still a lot of people somehow that don't know it exists. And it is just a wonderful place. And it it's one of those places where people who don't always fit in, confine their niche. Um, they put on amazing shows. We have some of the most talented people in Amarillo that you would never expect are that talented. And it's all local people doing it just because they love it, not getting paid, um, and just being parts of productions.
0: All right. Well, Travis, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. And that concludes the episode. Uh, I want to say thanks to Travis for being on the show. If you want to learn more about Yellow City Comic Con, go to yellowcitycon.com or uh, search for Yellow City Con on Facebook. Uh, You can learn about the schedule for this year's event and buy tickets, all that kind of stuff. Thanks again to ROI Online for sponsoring the podcast. And I want to say thanks to you for listening. If you're new to the show, Uh, We drop an episode every week, a new interview every week on Monday nights, Tuesday mornings. You can find it. Listen anywhere you listen to podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher. Go ahead and subscribe on the app of your choice. And if you don't mind, leave a review on that app or on Facebook, anywhere else. Uh, I appreciate it. Tell your friends. Thank you for listening. My name is Jason Boyette. I'll see you next week.